And welcome everyone to this edition of the Nick Cafe. 65 Years of Our Huddle Includes Everyone podcast series. And on this edition of the podcast, our guest really needs no introduction. Um, really well known amongst football circles over the last 40 years, I guess you could say, in the uh, Ottawa football community. Former Strathcona Park Packer, Ken of Rare, jumps on the podcast. That's right, Strathcona Park Packers. It's dating uh, both Ken and myself a little bit. Um, again, the, the, the football accomplishments, way too many to name, uh, including, um, you know, being named to the Laurier All-Century team and also being named uh, the most valuable Canadian player in the CFL East Arena's career. Ken has since gone on to become, um, well, a bit of a modern-day renaissance man, covering off on everything from motivational speaking to media personality, staying involved in football as a coach. Uh, Kenny jumps on, and then on one of our longer podcasts, I apologize for the length because uh, one of the better storytellers I know, Kenny fills us in on uh, his past with football, his present with football, and uh, the future with Kenneth Rare. All that coming up on this edition of the 65 Years of Our Huddle Includes Everyone podcast. I think we got him on the air with us. Kenny, you there? Hey, Jake, can you hear me? I can. I can hear you very well. How about yourself? You hear me okay? I sure can. Good to connect. Ah, awesome having you on. And like I said in the uh, to our listeners in the intro, we got somebody here this uh, on this episode of the podcast that really needs no introduction. Ken of Rare. Um, for a lot of you that are of a certain age, the name is almost synonymous with uh, with Ottawa football scene. I mean, we're going back to um, all century on the Laurier football team, an all Canadian university, um, an all Canadian in the CFL, a Shenley Award finalist. Then um, a sports media personality, football coach, university coach, entrepreneur. Uh, the list goes on, Ken. So, um, again, I could go on, but I think I'm going to kind of shift gears here and let you take the lead in this. And um, let's talk some football, my friend. Sure. You know, football um, has always been uh, a prevalent sport in my life. Uh, I grew up in a very athletic family. Wasn't the best athlete in the family, but uh, was driven to get to the next level. And uh, sometimes an athlete will have talent, but they need to want it as well. And I found that I had a real want. Now, football was kind of my third choice, to be honest. I was like a lot of Canadian kids who wanted to play hockey. And, and uh, I had that dream until we got to practice one time out in Almont a little early to watch this guy who was a hockey protege, a protege, and, and, a pro- and just a, a star. Everybody's talking about him. But he had a weird last name that started with a Y. <laughs> I knew you know who I speak of. Yeah. And uh, Steve Eisman was on the ice, and he was younger, a year younger than us. Uh, but we were watching him doing his thing, and we all realized that the NHL wasn't going to be part of our, our career path. So then I thought about baseball because my dad had played pro baseball. He played in the minors in Philly and with the Phillies and, and the Reds organizations. And counts Pete Rose as a teammate and Richie Allen and some other great athletes. But uh, I was a pitcher. I had two pitches, a fastball and a not-quite-sure-what-was-going ball. And so, hawk football ended up being sort of a third choice, and uh, again, there was a stick to itness connected to my playing football and wanting it to be a vehicle to lead to other things for me. No, and that's kind of cool. And I want to, and, and you know what, I'm gonna 
I'm going to hold that thought for later in our conversation because I think it's something that you hear all the time, but I really like that you brought it up because, you know, it was a want. And everybody wants, everybody will tell you, there's not a person I've ever talked to, well, is this something you want? Yeah, of course I want it. And I always say, you know, saying it and doing it are completely different things. But we'll touch on that aspect of, of the want a little bit later. Sure. And I mean, and to be fair to you and your your old hockey teammates, I feel kind of bad because little did you know that uh, the guy with the weird last name, Iserman, he wasn't just your average player. So maybe you guys did have a future. You just weren't going to be one of the, the three best players of your generation type of thing. So Yeah, and, and, and it was funny because um, he had talent, and but he also had a, 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 a real want. And the trap for a lot of talented athletes – and you've been there, you've seen them, you've coached them, is that they think that they can get by with talent alone. And you're eventually going to meet someone who's a little more talented, especially when you keep climbing the levels, you go to the next level, and you're going to find, okay, my first level, there's one guy on the other team who was a bit of a stud. Next level, maybe three. Then you get to college, and there's six. Then you get to the pros, and all of a sudden, they all are. So the margin for error is pretty limited. It's pretty narrow. And you have to figure out how to win – and and uh, they're it's really tough. You're going to take some punches. You're going to take some some shots along the way, and you're going to have to figure out how to counter punch and how to how to not rely on just your talent alone. You have to be smart. And I had to learn that. Uh, the funny thing is, I didn't I I wasn't faced with that challenge until I got to the pros, which was really late, and uh, I had to go back to school in terms of my football education. When I got to training camp in Saskatchewan in '88, oh, did we lose you there for a second? Kevin? No, I'm still here. I thought I lost you. I apologize. No, no, no problem. And it happens sometimes here. So, anyways, yeah, and we'll cut, and we'll touch back on that. Now, let's kind of backtrack to. Uh, not so much for myself or yourself, but to a lot of the young guys listening, what we'll call ancient times, I guess. Sure. And back to uh, the, the kind of beginnings of the Ken of Rare football story. So you, you kind of mentioned, you know, you, you're, you're looking at baseball, looking at hockey. But what kind of intrigued you with football and, and what kind of made you fall in love with the game and kind of tell me your beginnings, your very grassroots with the sport of football? Well, for me, it probably covers hockey as well, not so much baseball. But I, I had my dad who played baseball. He was right there every day. And you've met my dad. I and- have. Uh, my mom and my dad were there, they were there for everything. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. They were there for everything that we, the kids had done, whether track and field, football, basketball, hockey, whatever the sport was, in any school event as well. And um, both parents worked, and so I was a boys and girls club kid. And most of the kids didn't have a lot, but you end up really appreciating what you had. But you also appreciated the investment other people made in you. And they always had extra tickets. The Rough Riders and the 67s and all the teams in town would get tickets to the boys and girls clubs. And so we'd get to, we'd get to the club and they'd say, hey, we got some tickets for the 67s game. Call your dad and your mom. Call your parents to see if you can go. So last minute, it was always a last minute thing. We had 67 tickets. So we'd watch your, you know, a lot of hockey. But the same thing for football. And, and we'd get those end zone seats. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and we'd watch the players, and we'd run on the field afterwards and get chin straps from our favorite player, Soupy Campbell or Rick Asada or whoever it was. But what also happened was the 67s and the Rough Riders would stop by the Boys and Girls Club, 
and play sports with the kids. And that connection, more than anything, uh, allowed me to say, okay, you know what? I can take this dream and make it a reality. And they all said the same thing. You have to work hard. They didn't say work smart. You eventually learn how to work smart. But they all said you have to work hard. And I was thinking, what these guys are all playing pro or playing junior A hockey. And their first thing was work hard. Mm-hmm. And I think that resonated with me. And uh, I realized that work hard w- will help you get to where you have to go. But then, and then when you get there, you get the great coaches and they teach you how to work smart. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of it for me was that, that experience of the boys and girls club growing up and, uh, and having my parents who were again, very invested in everything that we did. Oh, and I love that. I love that. And, and it's funny for, um, and, and I've talked to a bunch of young athletes, young professionals, ex-athletes, and it's, it's really neat, the impact. And I mean, it's something that shouldn't be lost. Even the players playing at the university or even the high school level, the impact they'll have on people younger than them, like to that nine or 10 year old, just starting out, he doesn't care that you're not a pro. You could, you could be playing junior football, you could be playing university and they're, they're looking up to you. So it's kind of neat that you tell that story from years ago. And it's kind of the full circle of, uh, of sporting life. Now, once you finally got that urge or that, that, uh, I guess you kind of got the the urge or the desire to play football. Where was your uh, – who did you sign up with first? What was your first football team? My first, my first football team was the Strathcona Packers, and they were looking for players. I was we're, we're downtown Ottawa, center town, and we're playing some football at, at uh, McNabb Park where the, the Little League Baseball also took place. And the arena was also there for hockey in the wintertime as well. So uh, we're just throwing the football around, having some fun with some buddies and – this gentleman came over and asked us if we had played tackle football. We had said no, but you know, it kind of tweaked my interest. And it went from there. And um, the whole idea, and I know you mentioned, I think Darren may have mentioned it, Darren Joseph mentioned in your discussion, uh, we didn't have a lot of money. So mm-hmm. football wasn't expensive. It didn't cost much. I think it was 15, 20 bucks. Yeah, and, that's what Darren- and you got the equipment. You got the chance to bring the equipment home. And there's the first time we got a chance to identify with a uniform and we represented that uniform and that was kind of cool as well right to say i'm a member of this team this group uh an ex- extension of my family and uh it, it it was it was it was neat and it allowed me to foster a lot of friendships uh new friendships that that carried on through all of my football because you go up from one level to the next right so it was the strathcona packers and the rochester lions and uh, you know, it, it was just it was just a really fun, family-driven, connected experience. Well, I love that you talk about the uniform because I mean, I think each of us has a story like that. And I remember how proud I was, and the way they did it in Canada when my first year mosquito was they laid out as they were calling the guys that made the team. They would announce it almost like a draft type thing because it was the one sport that was only one team. So yeah. They- Fortunately, have to, you know, let some players go. And they did it in a, in a humane way. Like they kind of told them, you know, called them up, told them not to come out. So there was nobody there yeah. that wasn't going to pick. But we didn't know that. And I remember when they handed me that jersey for the first time playing. And I took that home and I just held it. And I'd already played hockey at this point. But it was just something different about, like you said, 
Um, you're getting that uniform. It's a different sport. Um, and one of the other things that I love, and it's funny because there's so many similar stories, is you tell a similar story to um, that Darren tells, and it, it's kind of neat that you both were kind of discovered. And two of the more, I mean, again, we're, 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 we're not, you know, spring chickens anymore. So a lot of people will remember the, you know, your playing days or Darren's playing days. But I mean, I, I, I rest assured to anybody that's listening, these uh, Ken, Darren, and some of the others you're listening to, ex-players, were, were some significant names in, the, in not just the Ottawa football scene, but the Canadian football league yeah. in general. And, and I love the fact that it's, if not for that single coach who just kind of found you and said, hey, you want to come play some football? Um, you know, the books would have been written a lot differently. So it kind of cool. Now, what position did you play with the, uh, with the Strathcona Packers? What did they have you playing first? I played quarterback <laughs> nice. and, and we never threw a pass. It was essentially toss, right, toss, left, or quarterback sweep left or right. And we weren't real successful, but I remember my very first touchdown was in Valley Cat Alouettes at Rito high school. It was a quarterback sweep left. And uh, at that time, what would happen is you'd go to the school, say, Rito High School, and there was a day of games. And so the Valley Kid Alouettes were there and the Strathcona Packers were there, but so were the South Gloucester Dolphins and the North Gloucester Giants and the Myers Riders and all these teams. And, and uh, it, 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 was, it was almost like that, that football jamboree that they have now, but it was every weekend. And what was really cool was – uh, it was the f- my sisters had played some sports, but they weren't on team sports with a uniform per se. And so it was the first time where my family could rally and connect to that experience and and take ownership of it as well. And I, I and I saw a really great pride. There's a sense of pride that it, that extended from that shared experience. And uh, so when you talk about sort of responsibility and will. I wasn't just competing for myself. I was also competing to represent my, my family. Oh, very cool. Right. And that was, that was important to me. Well, I love that. It's just funny. Cause I mean, again, football has evolved. So I watch some of these mosquito games now. I even see Tychek where I see quarterbacks in shotgun and I see them throwing the ball, you know, 10, 15 times a game, or at least trying to. Yeah. And I mean, I always joke, I say, you know, I started off, uh, I think a couple of years mosquito, I played quarterback, but, truly i mean yes they called me the quarterback and i took the snap but i was just the fourth running back we ran the wishbone yeah. but we didn't actually run the option we just lined up with the full of the two tails and like you said i think my my first scores ever playing were all qb sweeps and i think in my second year it might have been or the end of my first year i threw my first ever touchdown pass and like i, I think i ended up one for three or one for two on the day and if i threw more than three passes four passes in mosquito that was uh, that was lighting it up. So it's some different times back then. So you went. How many years did you play with Strathcona? I was there for two, and then the Rochester Lions, and uh, I was eventually moved to defense because I had I enjoyed contact. I enjoyed running into people, so I ended up playing like a, a linebacker position, and uh, just go get the ball carrier. And I loved doing it. I loved running into people, but my biggest problem was that I was. I was a really bad loser, and I, I hated losing anything and everything. And uh, I took football really serious even at that age. I wanted to be in on every play. But I also had my younger brother, Lance, in the huddle. And when we were losing, he turned that experience into open mic night. And it drove <laughs> me absolutely batshit crazy. 
I wanted to kill my teammates. And I I got I you know ashamed to say it now, but I got kicked out of a couple of games for fighting. And but uh it was all part of my growth experience. The frustration was well, funny because there's a commonality and it. it's it's not that um it's not that odd, would you say? Because I mean, they say it about a, a lot of the greats. Like I'm talking, and, and and I'm sure it goes for a lot of like pro athletes in general. But a lot of the greats, they tell you, like they were talking, I think, with Joe Montana, Dan Marino, guys like the, of this ilk. And they said the problem with 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 them is is that the only thing was is that they hated losing more than they enjoyed winning. Yeah. So at times they could look back on their career, they might have taken a moment just to enjoy the winning more because they said, generally, genuinely speaking, the pleasure they got out of winning paled in comparison to their agitation or just the downright, uh, you know, downright hatred of losing. And they said that the feeling of, of not, it was almost like the feeling of not losing would top the winning feeling, if that makes any sense. So it's interesting you say that because you're not the first, and I think it's a common thread amongst a lot of uh, elite level athletes. Yeah, I, I think there's a there's a you learn right. You're learning the you're learning the game, with the, the sport you're playing, and football is so physical that uh, I think it opens up. It's a bit of a conduit to a uh, uh, our core our core sense of who we are as a species, right? You, you can play badminton, but you can't go across the net and wipe the guy out. But, you know, you can exact revenge on a guy in football that, that I've looked back now when I played. I said, Jesus, what was I thinking? I may, I may be borderline nuts with some of the stuff I did playing football to other people. And uh, you learn, you have to learn to navigate those waters. And, then, you know, you're, you're 10, you're 12. You don't know any better. You just don't know any better. And your parents can say, you know, be a good sportsman. But – you know, the fact of the matter is that that guy cheap shotted you earlier or you know, you're going to go back and try to wipe him out. And I had to learn how to play the game because it, it came back to haunt me later on in my career. Oh, no. And they tell you, I remember hearing Kyle Turley once talk about the NFL. And I mean, it's a similar, similar kind of idea of what you're talking about. He said, he goes, the hardest thing is, is that basically you're asking a bunch of very athletic, big in their prime young men and they're, and you're asking them to have controlled rage for anywhere from say four to, to 15 seconds type of thing, four to 10 seconds of controlled rage. Yeah. And then the, to dial that back in and dial it back up and dial it down and dial it up throughout the course of, uh, of a 60 minute game. I mean, it's just a, I once heard somebody talk about controlled mayhem and that's uh, that's a way to put it. Well, if you, I'll kind of delve further into that and then we'll talk more about your, um, you know, kind of your ladder to the CFL. Sure. But when you talk about that, you, you, you mentioned that, you know, learning to control that or learning to manage that. Uh, are there any kind of, uh, well, first off, kind of lessons that you might have learned that you want to pass on? Or was there any type of, do you have any memories of specific times where you, you kind of, uh, or coaches that may have helped you learn that lesson that you were talking about in terms of being able to control that aggression that is needed for football? Yeah, uh, you know, the challenge for me was that because I was a decent athlete and, and contributed a lot to the team, I got a free pass on a lot of things, right? So I can go out there and take a 15-yard penalty, but they're going to take me out of the game because they know I'm going to make another 10 tackles, right? I'm going to be able to run the ball, do stuff. And I remember I was playing for the Nepean Norseman and this great coach, and he was the first coach that, that, that I looked back on and said really taught me a lesson. 
And I was playing for the Norsemen. It was our first year, the inaugural year. So there were teams like uh, the Ottawa Trojans and there was the Gloucester Dukes. And these were two powerhouse teams in this provincial league we're in playing midget football. And uh, I got into I got into a scuffle with a guy and I took a 15-yard penalty. And the rule with the team was uh, if you take a personal foul, that kind of – you sit. And you sit for a while. It wasn't two plays. Uh, you're lucky it was only just a quarter. And mm-hmm. because Tom Sparling was also a teacher by trade. Sorry, what was his name again? Tom Sparling. Okay, Tom Sparling. And uh, he had those old black Riddell, Joe Paternos, the throwback cleats. And he wore those Riddell yep. gray shorts. And, and he was a real stickler about doing things the right way. And I got the penalty. And he brought me to off the field. And I was stunned that he took me off the field. And then I was stunned when he told me I had to sit for a couple of quarters and because we we only won one game and i was i was a receiver i was a punter i was a punt returner and kick returner and i and i thought i was untouchable and and uh it was probably the greatest lesson i learned and and how to play the game and how and how your actions in game can affect the team it's not absolutely right and and so it, it was a valuable lesson for me and i realized that Playing smart, avoiding the emotional contest, but playing smart football and 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 maturing was something I had to do. It was inevitable. I had to do it for me to get to the next level, or I would have just been another guy out there just running into people and starting fights and not going anywhere. See, it's funny. I absolutely love that story because you see it, and you see it. I think it's more prevalent. Like, I'll talk to people. And I'll talk to youth coaches. When I talk youth, I'm not even talking high school age. I'm talking 11, 12, 13, 14, 10. And, and literally the first thing they'll tell me is about this A-Cup championship they yeah. won or this trophy. Or even go to their house and they'll have, you know, a trophy from five or six years ago where they, 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 they led the Mosquito fill-in-the-blank team or the Tyke fill-in-the-blank. And a lot of the, the, the life lessons that should be learned playing team sports – are completely lost because the person at the head of the table or the one that's supposed to be as, as, as an old coach of mine used to always refer the adult in the room is not being the adult in the room. So I, I, I absolutely love that uh, story about coach Sparling because I mean, obviously a, it sets you on the right path, but football notwithstanding, let's say you, you kind of, you know, it, 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 you didn't go down the sports route. You've gone down a different route. I guarantee you that's a life lesson that, and that's really what we're supposed to be learning um at any sport like I, I look at the team sports football hockey soccer so i love that story ken i appreciate you sharing it with no us problem. It was, it, yeah. it's it's funny that certain moments when you, you turning points indelible moments that influence you and oftentimes it's not the obvious one it's a it's a subtle something that done someone did for you and maybe in the moment you, you know again I, I was pissed oh i was pissed and i was not a happy camper but looking back, it was something that I needed. Scoring another touchdown or making another tackle wouldn't have made me a better football player, but that experience made me a better football player. No, very cool and very true. Very true. Now, we'll kind of uh, move along the pathways. After the Rochester Lions, where did uh, where did Kenneth Rare find himself playing? Well, football? I was Rochester Lions, and I played for a bit, and then I ended up turning uh, to hockey. And 
Okay. Started playing hockey, and that took up a lot of my time, and I enjoyed it. There was that overlap right in the fall between football and hockey, and eventually I was playing competitive hockey. And uh, after the Eisenman experience, I said, okay, you know what? I, I, I think I want to play football. And that led me to the Nepean Norseman. And uh, I played the one year there. It was an inaugural year with Sandy Ruxtell was His son, Steve Ruxtell was on the team, and other, a bunch of other guys. And we certainly got the crap beat out of us, but I really enjoyed being like a part of a travel team and, and part right. of that experience. And I ended up being the top punter in the league only because we punted like 300 more times than any other team in the league. <laughs> <laughs> there were times we wanted to punt on first down. We were so bad. But it's, um, after the Norsemen, uh, I tried out for the Sooners. And uh, I made it. The now, which era was Sooners? Who was the head coach? Jim Daly was the coach. And okay, it was a cool. really good team. They had some really – the Tynes brothers and Shane Ireland and a bunch of names that nobody's going to recognize now, but a bunch of really good football players. And uh, we were dominant in our conference. And we ended up winning Eastern Ontario, Eastern Canada. And we went to the national championship. And we thought we were pretty good. And we're walking around in Windsor. Everybody's getting their ear pierced and, right, Sooner football. And we had a real uh, – the culture was almost, you know, we're going to punch you in the face and we dare you to get back up type of thing. And mm -hmm. we met up with the Edmonton Wildcats. And they had, they had <laughs> some players. They had Chris Armstrong, sorry, Chris Johnston, who was a running back, Greg Kratzer, who was a really good receiver. And every team for had played man or zone, cover one or cover three against us. And it wasn't a real complicated offense. Nothing was really, to be honest, back then, it was, compared to what they do now, it was pretty simplified. And the Wildcats showed up playing cover to man to take our slot backs. I was playing, I was actually playing wide receiver at the time. And uh, they crushed us. And um, I, I enjoyed the experience of playing junior ball for that one year. But it didn't fulfill me. I wanted more. And Part of the problem, part the good thing was that earlier in the season, we had played in London against London Beefeaters. And I'm watching the OUA football game of the week on CHCH up in Hamilton. And it was uh, Western versus Guelph. No, sorry, Laurier versus Guelph. And I really loved the Laurier uniforms. They're really cool. But I also saw on, on the Guelph side were two guys who were at Sooners training camp the year that year when I was when I first tried out. And it was Scott Leckie who ended up going to the BC Lions and playing for a bunch of years, and a kid named Perry Cece. And Perry okay. had uh, was just he, he was just an athlete. And if you recognize the name, it's because his son is Cody Cece, who plays in the NHL. Okay, yeah, no, I was wondering. The yeah, CC so, name, so thank you. Uh, there's Perry and there's Scott playing for Guelph, and I said I want to go to university. I want that experience. And I wanted that experience, for one, because I knew it was a step in a direction I wanted to go. And two, I was really disappointed in the way some of the Sooners guys were talking these guys up, you know, that they left and they're not good enough to be Sooners and that Sooner ball was everything. I, I was certainly happy and proud to be an Ottawa Sooner, but there was a hubris, there was a confidence that I thought, I thought crossed the line a little bit. And I wanted to go to university. I want that education. And so I quit the Sooners and moved to Toronto 
So rather than go back the second year, the year they won a national championship, uh, I moved to Toronto and did my grade 13 at Northern Secondary. And so I, I went from junior ball, being a starter in junior ball, to playing high school ball. <laughs> and so a nice little, uh, nice little backtrack. I actually uh, had a similar experience myself, staying within the city, finding myself. We got eliminated by Windsor in the yeah. first round. This was back in the day where, you know, kind of things slipped through the cracks and rules were a little, uh, there were gray areas with rules. So I found myself a week later playing for Earl of March and it wasn't until two weeks of discussion and wrangling that they decided, yeah, no, uh, junior guys can't play. And there was no official rule, but anyways, yeah. I interrupted you. So you, yeah, Ron, now one quick yeah. question for you, Ken, just before you, um, so just so people are clear. So you played Sooners in grade 12. This wasn't an after high school. No, thing, I was so. the youngest guy on the and, team. No. And, and to put it in perspective, cause I had a, a similar, not quite as young. I played my grade 13 year and, and to put it in perspective, just so people kind of understand the difference of Sooners back then versus say now is you were, you, you, I think Darren Joseph summed it up nicely when he talked about uh, an ex teammate of mine and Darren, somebody that uh, had a couple of stops in CFL camps along the way, a guy you'd probably know Dave yeah. Weatherall. And I when Darren and I were saying, it was just like when we got there and you had guys like Weatherall and other, you were no longer with, yeah. boys you were no longer playing youth sports and so it was an eye-opener so i mean i don't think people nowadays quite realize what a jump it was for you to go out and compete in junior football in grade 12 and then i can only imagine what you know the sooners look like i know what they look like in the size and then when we would go out and play those those teams out west it was a whole yeah. different animal so i can only imagine that transition. Yeah. but anyways i didn't so let's uh, get back you're to right about football. that though you know i went from being a 17 year old whatever i was Playing against guys who are 21, right? Mm. And then I go to th grade 13 and uh, to get my marks, get my education so I can get to university, get recruited. And just up the street at North Toronto was this kid, Dave Sapungis. And, and he, he was very special as well. And I, I remember uh, we lost the Metro Bowl to a team that had guys like Donovan Wright, but they had a couple of guys who played in the CFL. And then uh, the All-Star game, they have the big Toronto All-Star games. They have the Sixth Division, the Catholics, and they have you know, Peel Region or whatever it is. And, and they have – we were the Metro downtown. And so they had the big, these big All-Star games and and scouts from all over the place. And I had, a, I had a pretty good game, and I got recruited by every pretty well every school in the country. But uh, Laurier was there from day one. And I really – I. I, I wanted to go to Laurier. I, my heart set on going there, and that's where I really took a giant leap in terms of my my football trajectory, but also my academic trajectory, which was important to me. And who was the uh, who was the head coach at uh, Laurier? It was Rich Newbrow. Yeah, Rich was there, but I never met him until pretty well once I committed. We had an assistant coach there named Tom Arnott, who was just fantastic. He played at Guelph. He was as hard-nosed as they got. They used to run the option over at Laurier, and, and, and he said, listen, we're not running the option. We're opening things up. But we have we have a couple of guys who are really good football players. We have uh, Paul and Joey Nastasiak and some guys who are really good. And But we think you'll fit in great and be a game-breaker for us. And uh, I said, sure. I, I loved it. I almost went to Bishop's. Was Zatilny and Tony Harris, Harris, and all those guys? 
but yeah. Bruce Coulter recruited me, and I remember him in the living room with Ian Breck, and I think Ian Breck still to this day is wondering what the hell Bruce was thinking when he told me that when I came to went to Bishops, I'd back up this other freshman named Wally Zatilny. <laughs> and I had enough adventures with Wally. I had to delay it. And so I, I ended up, I said, you know, I'm not going to go to Bishops. I know you got a golf course, but I don't play golf. And I don't, I don't feel, feel comfortable backing anybody up. And, and so I ended up at Laurier. No, it's funny. I'm going to tell you something. This is an honest to goodness, true story. It's, uh, it's almost scary because you brought up Tom Arnott's name. And I have probably not said the name Tom Arnott in years, if not at yeah. least a decade. And God is my witness, Ken, about four hours ago, I brought up Tom yeah. Arnott's name. Uh, conversation with a buddy of mine. It's actually funny because um, kind of where and you'll appreciate this or anybody who's been around, uh, once you get kind of the university level, the pro level, the equipment guys you'll have, and they're generally lifers. It's not something that there's huge turnaround in a lot of places. I mean, some maybe there are, but most places I've been, these guys have been around, you know, can tell you stories. And that um, at St. Mary's, we were talking to one of the equipment guys been around forever. And I asked him about a, a player that was, you know, a decent player in his own right, but was never, was not all Canadian, not all conference, wasn't a star, only played two seasons, then transferred, brought up his name. He knew him. And this is a guy from the late 80s. And the reason I brought up Tom Arnott is that I, um, I incredible respect for the man. I just think it's phenomenal. And it's one of those things, too is that um, he's just that type of person that makes you feel, A, want to get you excited about things, but it really makes you feel good about yourself. And the story I have about Arnott really quickly, and this is what I was telling them uh, when I mentioned his name maybe four hours ago with a buddy of mine, is that I was stunned. I remember when Arnott was the head coach at York, and they were probably one of the Canadian schools that had pursued me the most in terms yeah. of me playing. And he was on that. He was calling me all the time. He was, you know, and it was always great. He stopped by the school. Again, I came very close to going to a York school that hadn't won in, in, in two, three seasons yeah. up to that point. I know Coach Arnott had success in getting them a few wins, but I came close just based on that coach. So this is back, you know aging myself here but back uh i want to say 1990 type of time frame so fast forward years later almost 20 years later guelph is in town to play the university of ottawa and um and and i'm doing some uh sports streaming interviewing stuff i think for mutual acquaintance of ours ssn and so this is probably like a good 15 to 20 years later and i'm interviewing the coaches pre-game for this uh first round playoff game ottawa v guelph and I go up and I'm like, coach or not, you got him. And he's like, certainly do. And I'm like, I'm like, Hey, I don't know if you remember me. And he's like, of course I do. Yeah. Ryan, how you doing? And I was floored, floored because I didn't play there. I didn't sign there. Um, it was just the recruiting process. But again, he remembered and I'm sure, and that's not a, and I don't take that as, Hey, you remember who I am. Cause I'm important. That's the type of character this guy was is that uh, I guarantee you he probably remembered almost everybody he crossed paths with. So it's really kind of cool you bring up Arnott, and I had to share that story because not exaggerating, four hours ago brought up his name and probably haven't said his name since that time. I yeah, and uh, he was there from day one, recruited me. He, 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 he came to Northern, and we had a quick chat. And we had, we had coaches coming in all the time because Northern has, has a high school football factory in Toronto. And, and, mm -hmm. uh, but he was there, he was always there. And I think my being away from home, moving to Toronto, live with my sister for grade 13, away from my family, I needed that, that, that coach, but male figure that I could trust while I was still away from home. 
and he was that That's guy. Cool. And um, uh, you know, when when I got, I remember when I got to training camp at at Laurier. Uh, you know, it, it was both uh, an exciting time for me, but also a frightening time because I was away from home, and I knew that I was going to be away for at least another. Three Right and and um, uh, but it ended up being the the reward for hopping on a bus at midnight with my one bag pack to go live with my sister after quitting the Sooners. It, it was a, a high risk, high reward scenario, and it worked out for me. And uh, you know, from there things kind of took off. They really did. No, it's very cool. It's a very cool story. It's funny because, I mean, again, I, I kind of smile um, just when you talk about the bus from Ottawa, Toronto. <laughs> just have this image in my head because Lord knows I've done that trek on the bus years ago numerous times. So even I, I think it just enhances the story. But that's really cool, man. Um, now let's talk, let's talk some Laurier football. You get to Laurier. Uh, it's like you said earlier, obviously everything's a jump. And, uh, and a lot of guys tell me they find the jump from say high school to university to be more significant than the jump from university yeah. to pro. Uh, and then now in your case, you had the year Sooners under your belt, went to Northern. What was the jump like for you heading into Laurier in your first camp? And what was that? Experience you know, like? it was funny um, because I had that experience with the Sooners. Uh, I think I was probably far more prepared and uh, I, I I ran track at at Northern, and because I was I was probably a legit four seven five forty guy, uh, and I and I was really adamant about getting quicker and faster. So I ran track, and so on day one at Laurier's training camp, you do all the testing. And I had a great shuttle; I had the best shuttle, uh, and then I ran the forty, and I ran a four four six, I think. And that sort of set the tone for the coaches sort of took notice. I knew that I, I knew that I was a blue chip recruit. We had a, we had four or five of us in that group, um, but the 40 really okay. sort of launched me. And then when I start running routes, uh, I realized that I, I belong. And, and it probably extended from McGill recruited me when I was at Northern and I went to Montreal, Pat Sheehan, Charlie Bailey and Larry ring were all there. And uh, Pat okay. convinced me to, bring my, my, my gym gear because they were having spring practice and he wanted, so he, he asked me if I'd practice. I said, sure, I'll practice with McGill, right? A bunch of university guys. And, uh, and I, I, I hate to say it, but I, I, I tore them a new strip. And mm-hmm. so my first thought was, well, I can't go to McGill cause I haven't got the marks. And two, I don't want to go to McGill because they're shitty. <laughs> but little did I know that they were going to recruit Mike Souls and Jerry Eiffel. And they wanted to yeah. win a national yeah, championship not too long yeah. after that. But when I got to Laurier, it was competitive. Uh, but I, the one thing, you, 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 what you do is you, you attach yourself to the things you can control. I worked as hard as I could. And I took every one-on-one. I was adamant about winning every one-on-one. After I caught a ball, I made sure I took off upfield and ran upfield. I didn't want there to be any doubt that I was going to start and play. Uh, and I didn't want there to be any doubt, not just the coaches' minds, but even all my teammates' minds. They had I wanted them to know, okay, Averre is going to start. He's going to play a lot. And I did. I was a punt returner, kick returner, receiver, punter. And, and uh, 
there's what I did well. And I, I didn't want there to be any, any doubt that I was going to be a game changer for the Laurier, for the Laurier Golden Hawks. Like, sorry, Ken. No, I was saying I like the lesson from that as well, in the sense that, you know, control what you can control. And again, I, 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 it, it kind of goes back to something we talked about at the beginning of the conversation. And I always find it neat. And the older I get, and the more, uh, you know, the more athletes I'm around as, as a coach now, as opposed to player. But even in both case scenarios, you kind of see a common thread is, I mean, everybody, everybody will tell you how bad they want it. It's, it's very easy to do. And, and heck, with social media nowadays, I can post uh, uh, numerous posts telling how I'm getting at it, a bunch of, uh, you know, euphemisms, quotes, whatever. Um, but then there's the little things. And it's, it's still it, it never ceases to amaze me about how many people um, will say, yes, I absolutely want greatness. But just the little things, like you said, turning up field after the rep. Yep. Well, I'm, you know, I don't, that's important. Just the little stuff. So I, I, I love that you kind of touch on that again. Now you, you hit the hit the floor running for lack of a better term at um, when you're at Laurier um, first year. How did you guys? We do did well. We year? made the playoffs, and we end up. Uh, Western was our nemesis, right? Uh, Western was the team to beat. They had a great team with Blake Marshall, and and they had so many guys over there. They had Vercherval was there, Irv Damon was there. Uh, they had some linebackers. They had. You know, they had some guys who could really play football. And they were a really smart team. And they they were coached really well. And uh, we had them in one Yates Cup, and then we lost in the last minute of the game type thing. And uh, But uh, my third year, I had actually broke my ankle. And they say you reap what you sow in football. My freshman year, I wiped out a guy from York. I blocked him, and it was right in front of our stand, so the entire crowd went crazy and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we played them year three, and I, had, I was leading my other kick return up on upfield on a kickoff return. And the guy who I had hit came back from behind and chopped my legs off from behind me and broke my ankle. And so I missed the Yates Cup. We Guelph knocked off Western. We knocked off Guelph to win the Yates Cup, and we ended up going out to BC to play the Thunderbirds, who went on to win the Vanier. But I, I, I was on crutches and wearing a cast, and didn't get a chance to play that game. So, uh, but and that was that was sort of my final my final experience as a Laurier Golden Hawk. I got drafted uh, by Saskatchewan, and and the next chapter began. Just as we close the Laurier chapter, any one particular, I mean, I know there's numerous ones, but any one memory jump out either on or off the field, keeping in mind that we have to keep this somewhat, uh, let's say, uh, PG-14. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I think for me, um, it was just the total experience of all the guys, all the teammates. Um, and I also learned a valuable lesson. We had a guy, another receiver on the other side, I would never have been a two-time All-Canadian, the conference MVP, and all that kind of stuff if it wasn't for the guy on the other side of the field. And that was Joey Nastasiak, the other receiver. Uh, his brother, Paul, played in the TFL, won a great cop. Uh, Paul was a little bigger, a little taller. And uh, mm -hmm. Joe never got that chance because back then they wanted the receiver to be 6'1", right, this type of thing. And um, But if it wasn't for him on that other side of the field being dominant – in a lot of ways, I would never have the success I had. And uh, the one one thing I made sure I did was 
with that second all Canadian I had gotten, uh, I never felt comfortable getting him because Joey actually statistically had a better year, and he was he was ended up being second team all Canadian, and uh, he had to miss a game because his brother was getting married on Labor Day weekend, and he had to make a choice of playing or going to his brother's wedding. He went to his brother's wedding. And so the guy who replaced him caught five passes for 85 yards or whatever it was. And if, if Joey would have played that had those same stats, he would have surpassed me statistically. And so I never felt comfortable right, having right. the ring. So I tracked him down a couple of years after and sent him the, a note and the ring, letting him know he, he was the guy who should have been the all Canadian. And, and that's a really cool story. Yeah, my dad got the first that. ring and Joey got the second one because again it just didn't fit. It never fit properly. Uh literally and figuratively. That's a really cool story, Ken. Is it one and just uh, as I always say, I I use disclaimers or or full transparency as I've coached with Ken, so we've had numerous conversations on bus yeah. rides to God nowhere, Ontario and back again, but that's one you haven't shared with me. And speaking of which, because you brought up the name and I just wanted to pass along the hello because <laughs> I mentioned to him that you were John on as Irv uh, Damon. Irv Damon says, Big Irv is going to be, well, like I said, we got to keep, Big Irv's going to jump on with us very shortly um, <laughs> on one of the podcasts. And it's just, like I said, I'm, I'm debating whether he's going to be on the main series here, the, the Nakafa 65 or 65, or I might do one Nakafa yeah. after dark and, and Irv will be the lead. Uh, I know. The know lead I never officially met Irv, even though we played against each other in college. I just remember him talking smack at our bench, and because he he wore, <laughs> you know Irv, so he's he's got this long neck, and he had these like hockey type shoulder pads yeah. on, and like six neck rolls, and he's got these big eyes in his helmet, and he was cursing, saying something to us, and I told him to go f himself, and I called him Beaker, from the Muppets. <laughs> and he just looked at me, and I think he was either both impressed that I came up with that, and intrigued about how dark my mind might be. So he and I became teammates here in Ottawa, and and you know the story. You know the story ever since. Uh, one of the best guys ever. Oh well, I I guarantee you one hundred percent, man, one hundred percent. Having gotten to know Herb and having lived with her for a bit during a, a coaching stint, I guarantee you, Herb was was very impressed. Like there's that moment where that, that's the type of guy Herb is. Is he kind of you probably caught him up guard? It's like, oh, good for you. Two points for you, Laurier guy, with that voice of his. That uh, I can I can only picture him cussing out a bench or talking smack with with that Herb voice. I once had a friend who said it. And and he summed it up perfectly. I think Irv was meant to uh, to either uh, after his playing days to coach football or be at the head of a military running their drill stuff. Because because uh, yeah, it's uh, that voice he has. And and again, I mean, we joke about it, but um, I I don't know a more liked guy by his players and everyone that's been around him. And it's the one cause. Like very rarely do you find a coach. And I mean, obviously, a, an incredible pro football player. But I'm talking about his present life. And I can honestly say this: very rarely do you find a coach that every single player that's coached him uh, is in love with the guy and has great things and I mean I'm talking even guys that didn't see the field which is a rarity because you know it happens in sports well you know I didn't play because so-and-so screwed me or because yeah. so-and-so didn't play me or so 
like so-and-so. But even that's the one thing I found incredible with her. Even the guys that did not dress on some of his university teams um, loved the guy. So, anyways, I figured yeah. it passed long low when I told him. He, would, you know, when he bleeds football uh, through and through, it's in his veins. And uh, it'd be tough to find someone who didn't like him. That's for sure. Hundred percent, great guy, and like I said, I, I owe you and the Invaders for uh, for having met him. So, anyways, let's uh, we put the Laurier days to, to rest here. Let's talk a little bit about uh, about you heading into the CFL. Now we're talking the big time, and, uh, and now we're getting the pros. And 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 quick backtrack to you for one second. I'll, I'll kind of back up a little because I ask everybody this. But when was the pros on your radar? Was this something yeah. from a young age where you were? Yeah, like, it really okay, was. It, yes, it was. It was it, something. This was all for me a pretty clear cut path to other things in life. I wasn't going to be a med student. I wasn't going to be a lot of things. I knew what I was, and I, and I knew what I did well. And I knew that football would lead to would open other doors for me, uh, as long as again as long as I stayed healthy and and had that stick to itness. And that was the case after three years at Laurier and having the success we had. Went I I actually it wasn't my draft year, fourth year is your draft year, but I appeal to the CFL and I guess what happens is they 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 get guys who appeal and it depends on the supply and demand. If teams want you, they want you to be in the draft. Then great, and I guess there were enough teams who wanted me in the draft, and so uh, I had met Dan Rambo, Saskatchewan at the time. He was mm-hmm. an assistant GM there. We had a great little conversation. I was impressed by him, but uh, but we had the CFL scouts stop by Laurier once or twice during the season, and and I, I didn't think much of it, and I didn't think I didn't know that he was he was working on this idea uh, for my draft year, and so we're in Niagara Falls for the draft, and Orville Lee's part of that draft, and Jeff Fairholm, there's some really good football players. And uh, Orville goes number one. Saskatchewan takes Fairholme at number two. So I'm thinking this is a collective sigh mm-hmm. of relief. The only other team I didn't want to go to is Winnipeg because they were notoriously cheap. If Ottawa had Orville Lee okay. at running back, then they were done in the draft. Saskatchewan took Fairholme, a receiver out of Arizona, at two. There's no way they're going to take another receiver. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, Hamilton, maybe. Who knows, right? And so it's the ninth pick, the first first pick of the second round. And Saskatchewan's up. And this is when they had an audience and the whole bit there in Niagara Falls. And they said, okay. you know, the Saskatchewan North Fire Select from Wilford Laurier University number slot back Ken of Rare receiver. And so I said, Great. Saskatchewan North Fire surprised, but still cool. And uh I wasn't I wasn't up to speed in terms of their depth. They had Elgard, that Ellingson, they had they had a bunch of receivers already there. So I walked up on stage to shake hands with Bill Baker, and Baker has this wry look on his face. I'm like, okay. He says, Ken, welcome to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. You're a free safety. You told me. <laughs> and I almost shit my pants on the stage. Come again, right? That, that, that Gary Oldman, Drexel, Christian Slater, right? Come again, or or even or even more 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 come again of Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper when Hopper tells him the story about 
Uh, <laughs> Italy being invaded, <laughs> right? It's like, come again, I'm a safety. And I was stunned. And I didn't really think about it until I got to training camp. Because I didn't want to think about it. And um, No doubt. Ironically, it ended up being the best thing that happened to me. Because at, at Laurier, they, yeah, we played teams of man-to-man or they played some zone. Western always beat us because they played cover two-man. They didn't want me to go vertical, so they played two-man. They had a guy underneath. It was Kyle Hall, who was a, also a decathlete. So I wasn't going to out-athlete Kyle every mm-hmm. play. And they always had a guy over top who was there to tear my head off. And so, But I didn't know. I didn't understand all of that. So when I got to the pros and I started playing DB, yeah, uh, I, I learned two things. One, Glenn Suter's mustache is the worst mustache in football. Two, I learned (laughs) everything about a defense. I was behind enemy lines, right? So now I found out what cover one, cover through, cover three, cover four, stingers, hammers, all the stuff that teams were doing at the time. And it it made me a student of the game for the first time in my life, right? Because I wasn't going to outspeed guys. I wasn't going to do a lot of things to guys, but I could outsmart them. And that was my goal. And uh, it ended up being, again, sort of the gateway to my success as a pro because by the end of training camp, I got traded to Ottawa. They tried to Saskatchewan to hide me on the injured reserve with a shoulder injury. And I – again, my ego, right? I, I said, I, I, I want to play. And so Gil Scott was going to work to get me traded to Toronto. And the phone ran the, – they called me in. I sat down with the GM in Saskatchewan. He said, hey, I got your new GM on, on the phone. Well, speakerphone. And he says, hey, Ken, this is Wayne Giardino from the Ottawa Rough Riders. <laughs> I was like, oh, I almost shit my pants again because they had only won like one game in like 17 years or whatever it was it seemed like. And I was going, I was going to Ottawa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But as luck would have it, it ended up being a great thing because I was going to come back home to my family. That what would year, have been 88, I think, 89. Was that uh, – were you part of this – what was it? Uh, I know what, I just missed that. That was the year previous, I think. Okay, so, yeah, I can't – I don't remember if it was 87 or 88. I just, I just remember coming to Ottawa, and, then we and Art Sleetster was a quarterback, and I'd read the Sports Illustrator articles on him, so I already had a pretty good idea about the guy, and he wanted to borrow a 1000 bucks like, within the first 20 minutes I knew him, right? And we had we – had, <laughs> So we had good, guys who got cut by the NFL, and they didn't want to be there. Guys were playing football, probably stoned, and it was just it was just a mess. It was it was the first time I saw bad football, and and bad coaching, bad everything, and it it was it was tough. That's for sure. That's funny because it's it's really interesting to see the uh, the stories behind yeah. the story, if you know what I mean. Like everybody assumes, and I mean the CFL is kind of that. Um, that niche league, but that special little piece where, where you really like across the board, you have, you know, NFL, major league baseball. Yeah. There's discrepancies between, uh, between franchises and there can be some significant ones, but it seems like everybody I've talked to, I mean, there are some huge uh, discrepancies between CFL franchises and it's really a, a lot of uh, luck of the draw where you end up that can determine how, what, what kind of career you really was. And you know what? Um, it was a valuable experience because you can say you love the game, but 
how much do you really love the game when the crap's hitting the fan, when things are really bad? Will your love for the game get you through mm-hmm. that? Will you still work? Will you still be a pro? Will you still learn? Will you still grow? And I found myself still being really passionate about playing the game. I was I was one of the rare players, even though the team wasn't very good, I was really proud to be an Ottawa Rough Rider, right? And uh, I felt a, a compelling need to give back to the game in the same way mm-hmm. that, you know, players who came to visit when I was a kid. And, here, and talk about roundabout, one of those players was Mark Cosmos, right? Guy played at Oklahoma, okay. the school that I, uh, you know, a big fan of the Oklahoma Sooners. And, you know, Cosmos ended up playing some great football. He won four great cups, played in Montreal and Hamilton as well. Local heroes owner. And, and he passed away just this week, two days ago. And, uh, that. but he's known as a football player, but even just as well known for what he gave to the community. And, and he was a proud Ottawa Rough Rider. And, I've always been that way about my time here in Ottawa. No, and it's funny. And when I saw that he had passed, it's one of those names that I've, I've always known, but he was, his career was a little bit before my day. So it was it's kind of neat where I, I knew of him as an ex Ottawa rough rider and more importantly, a, a, a big member of the Ottawa community. So, I mean, it shows how that kind of, uh, you know, it grows from that starting point and you can take it to, you know, you kind of use that as a launching pad and take it to 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 yeah. great heights, so to speak. So interesting stuff with your time in Ottawa. And I remember uh, I remember that struggles because I remember and I think I've told you this story before. And I mean, obviously, it doesn't uh, doesn't stand. It, it wouldn't be that significant to you, but to, to myself and my buddy. Um, it was a huge deal. I remember, um, and again, this uh, sounds like I'm gushing over Ken right now, but the first time I met, uh, I met you, I was in, uh, I was playing in the yeah. high school uh, senior bowl game, the, uh, what's now I think athletes in action, but was the high school, I think it was still athletes in action back then. Anyways, was playing in that. And it was when Damon was in town and my high school had the exact same uniforms as the Edmonton Eskimos. Yeah. And, and I wore number nine. And so they just got to Ottawa and one of my buddies was a slot, was a big fan of Ken of rare. And you walked by and you did a double take look at me and I was wearing nine. And you're like, wait, is that Damon suiting up? And, and, and you just smiled and walked away. And, and I mean, it was just one of those things, but for me and my buddy Graham, I mean, it's something we talked about like on the car ride home. And we weren't little kids either. We were teenagers in our last year of high school, but yeah, you see kind of rare notices. You kind of rare talk to us. So, I mean, the, the impact that, uh, and, and I, and again, I, I tell university guys, this: the impact that you'll have on the youth is, is significant. And it's a lesson I learned from one of my old coaches, um, coach Lee who coached years in the NFL um, coached me down in Texas and and coach Lee always said you know remember that when you get to a certain level of sport there are going to be so many eyes that you do not have a clue are watching you and they're watching your every move not so much to you know not a negative to see you fail or to report oh so and so did this but they're really watching you because they 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 look up to you and they kind of you know they're feeding off of you, whether you know it or not. So, I mean, there's a significant uh, accountability there. So I, I, I find the, uh, when you bring up Mark Cosmos and the kind of, you know, the whole circle of football life. And I, and I still remember, um, you know, kind of our brief encounter that day at the high school uh, senior bowl and what it meant to the guys around me. So, I mean, it's an interesting story. Now, after Ottawa, you leave yeah. kind of, you, you get to play at home. And I mean, it's funny because 
everybody I've talked to that played for the Riders that were from home, the Riders, let's call it what it was, they were, or you know what, I'll use a euphemism. Yeah. They weren't good. <laughs> they weren't good and they hadn't been good in years. Um, but every one of you has the same story, man. It's a certain pride of playing for the hometown team. So you end up leaving well, Ottawa. I, I remember uh, back then uh, in the league, you can put you can be put on waivers without being told because they were called recallable waivers. So they put you on waivers, and if another okay. team claimed you, then they can recall you. But you can only do that once during the season. And uh, I had tore I had tore my quad a little bit, and I was going to miss. At that time, we're thinking only about a week, a week to ten days. And to backtrack the backstory, the the Rough Riders had signed John Mandritz and Tony Cherry and David Williams and uh, who's on the Stephen Jones, a bunch of free agents. And the rule was the unspoken mm-hmm. rule was you don't sign other teams' free agents. But Ottawa did that, and so the teams were looking for revenge. And so uh, the Steve Goldman tried to hide the fact he tried to put me through waivers when everybody knew that I was injured, and that didn't stop Hamilton from claiming me. And I'm not sure if Hamilton initially okay. really wanted me. I think they just wanted to screw over Ottawa. That's all it was, because nobody met me at the airport in Hamilton when I got there. And I had no information in terms of a hotel and stuff. And the hotel I was in was just a dump. Just a dump. Uh, there were more pimps and hookers than there were anything else. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I went from being sort of the prodigal son of Ottawa Rough Rider to here I am. And I remember having the conversation with Joanne Pollock when she found out she was actually going to uh, she's going out west for an event with Bobby Hall and, and and some big hockey, some celebrity dinner. And we spoke on the phone and she was in tears. She can't believe Goldman screwed up that badly. And uh, I had to spend the next three three years three years and change in Hamilton, and had actually ironically had played my best football. You know, was when I was with the Tiger Cats. No, well, that's when you were uh, you were East. Yeah, I sure did, year, which correct? was great, and I had a great year. Um, you got to preface it by saying though that Tony Champion missed a lot of time, Earl Winfield missed a lot of time, Rocky Di Pietro had retired. I, there wasn't a lot of people they could throw the football to, so I got a, I got a whole boatload of action <laughs> that I normally wouldn't have gotten if those guys were there. But when they did return, when Champ returned, Champ eventually retired. But when Winfield came back and, and we we drafted Nick Mazzoli, we had Wally Zatilny, we had Richard Nurse. We had some guys who could play, uh, Lonzel Hill as well. Uh, we became a pretty good football team. And uh, mm-hmm. we always got to the Eastern Final against Winnipeg, Matt Dunnigan and all those guys. And, and each time we walked away, whacked. We got beat pretty good. Now, who was your QB when Damon you were uh, in your Shenley year? Yeah, Damon was there. Was it Damon he had signed Hamilton? with Hamilton as a free agent after his experience in Ottawa. And uh, he and I were on the same page in Ottawa. We had that comfort level, and then it translated to our success in, in Hamilton. And we also had Donnie McPherson from Syracuse University. He's with us as well. Yeah, he wore nine. Yep, but then nine. he wore nine. Actually, you know what? He wore 16. Damon was nine. He wore 16, but then he changed the number to 99, mm-hmm. and he got the, the green light because uh, Jerome Brown of the Eagles was a good friend of his who had passed away, and he wanted to pay, he wanted to pay homage to Jerome Brown. Okay. Remember, remember that. 
So, yeah, that was a story there. So two really good quarterbacks, really good football team, but we just couldn't get through that gateway to the West in Winnipeg. Portage and Maine and those Winnipeg Blue Bombers, they were just so good. Well, they were good. It's funny that you – because Don McPherson, somebody I'd forgotten, and uh, I forgot that you got to play with him. Uh, no, I remember it. It's like I said, as a, as a youngster, probably my first university years was watching, like I said, number nine at Syracuse, number 16 with Hamilton, and, and I'd forgotten yeah. about the 99. That's a cool story. And I'm for anybody out there, um, you know, football fans, yeah. research a little bit on Jerome Brown. It's uh, – interesting story interesting what he did for his community before he passed and it's kind of a sad story and and, you know it kind of um if you look at the history of football his passing you know it it kind of changes the future of football because people right now might be talking about that philadelphia eagles d-line the same way they talk of the steel curtain or other of the of the greatest defense i think they had reggie white at the time there um right Clyde Simmons and, and, Clyde Simmons and from you. Uh, Jerome was from the U. He played at Miami University, and he's one of those guys who came from nothing and earned so much great success. And in a blink of an eye, I was gone. He was gone. Now, one of my favorite Jerome Brown stories, and it always because it shows like you know. There's a way to deal with stuff, and I, and I mean for a lot of people like they understand understand that the '80s and '90s. I mean. Times change all the time. So the 80s and 90s uh, by no means were the 30s or 20s, but they're, they're a lot different than they are today. And I remember one of my favorite Jerome Brown stories is, is the, the Klan. The, the KKK was holding a march in his hometown. And, I mean, again, you, you remember those days where nowadays it's almost unthought of that, you know, the Klan holds open marches throughout towns or whatever, uh, just in communities. I mean, they got to kind of do their thing underground. Charlottesville notwithstanding, but that's another conversation. Um, and what he did is they were holding their rally or their march, and, and he kind of approached in the sense, A, when you see the, the size of Jerome Brown, you're, you're not likely to mess with the man. And he got a couple of his ex-teammates, and, and they didn't do anything. No, they didn't preach violence. They didn't look for confrontation. They just went, and they had the wherewithal, and they all bought their pickup trucks. They all cranked their speakers up, threw some speakers in the crowd, got some more guys. And whenever the Klan tried to do anything, they were they were just drowned out by music and people and as opposed to people wanting to fight them. And and I think it was one of those things yeah. where they didn't know how to take it. And they just left because they were being confrontational, but they couldn't do jack all because uh, Jerome Brown's crew was drowning them out. And just um, a little bit of the person Jerome Brown is. But I mean, for unfortunately, for, for a lot of people listening, the, the name probably doesn't mean anything, but it would be worth. Uh, but the funny thing is, Wayne, is that, that again, this this is an example of your love for the game. We're Ottawa guys, right? Uh, nowhere connected to the Eagles or University of Miami and that experience, but through Sports Illustrated and through storytelling that's out there, we could never have that thirst. It could never be quenched in terms of the information and wanting to know more yeah. about these people, these athletes. Sports Illustrated was, again, it was a great platform that dovetailed into us becoming all around athletes because they had this love for the game. And that, that goes back to the want. How how you can and say yet, you want it. But are you are you really willing to put the work in? Not put the work in when people are watching, but put the work in when nobody is around. Hundred percent No, and again, unfortunately, and this isn't me, I mean I might sound like I'm nine hundred, but I think that's an affliction is that 
You know, um, putting the work doesn't mean going out for 20 minutes, doing a workout, posting it on Instagram and showing everybody how hard you're working and then not doing anything else, you know, or uh, that one great rep you might have run in one-on-ones or, you know, posting like it it never ceases to amaze me how many things I see posted where clearly there's there's technique errors like you know like it's just but it looks kind of cool or they they made you know they might have made uh three mistakes in running the route but they make a great circus catch so it's you know they're they're missing the point of, of perfecting their craft so um interesting that you say that i absolutely love that you say that because it's something that i've i've kind of brought up to and i mean it's it's easy to to say something and it's completely different. And I mean, I've had the opportunity, I've been lucky enough to work with some, some great young athletes. And I mean, I've been lucky enough to have teammates. And I always told people, I mean, when I was um, in university, my first couple of years, um, yeah. I was down in this at UTEP, um, our, our best player who had the most success uh, went on to play eight years in the NFL, started in the Super Bowl yeah. for um, the Tennessee Titans back when they played the Rams. A was the nicest human being there. Like was just incredibly pleasant, respected everybody. Didn't, you know, didn't think he, his shit didn't stink for lack of a better term, even though he was, when I met him, he was already a household in El Paso and was on that star level. And the second thing, and this is the key thing is I tell people, I say, you know what? This guy had some God given talent, but there was not a single player on our team. And we had some hard workers that came close to outworking Baron. Like it just wasn't, Close. And I mean, it's like you said, like, and, and we were all young and, and having fun. And I'm not saying you can't have fun, but I'm telling you, this guy played in the NFL. He refused to go out on Fridays and Saturdays. And I'm not saying that's what it takes. I'm just saying that's somebody who's who's truly willing to do anything and everything possible. Um, like just the, the he avoided distractions. He, he, he little extra things he just knew. And I mean, I, I love that you bring it up, Kenny, because I, I just think it's something that's lost on people. And, and in this day and age of social media, um, it's very easy to kind of fall into that trap of uh, yeah. a lot of hype, a lot of slogans. Um, like my dad used to always say, you know, a lot more sizzle than yeah. steak, but, you know, not much meat. Yeah, and I, and I see that with the, with the younger so, athletes today. That I think more, it's more prevalent now than ever before where they, they, they want to look like they're part of a Reebok commercial, right? But don't have put the work in. Amen. Don't know the game. So. No, that's it. And and it's because there's an art to every game. And, I mean, we're talking football. We're football guys. But, I mean, there's just I, – I say every day, and I don't beat myself up. But I'm like, my gosh, I wish I knew now or I, knew, I wish I knew then what I know yeah. now about, about the game of football. I'm not talking, you know, life because obviously we could go back and have do-overs. I'm just talking the, the – intricacies of the sport and, and like you said perfecting the craft knowing the game knowing the little things the little nuances that aren't necessarily going to make uh the 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 sports desk highlights or or going to be posted on instagram i always said the one cool thing and again it's going to make me sound old but when you and i were growing up to, to kind of quench that thirst or that love yeah. of football there was an effort involved like there was no yeah. tsn until i was in my early teens um Oh, there was no, I wasn't inundated where I could see uh, Odell Beckham's catch 20 times, uh, or, or let's say once every 30 minutes, I would see it on a different channel. It'd be on Instagram, Facebook. And I mean, these things aren't bad, but we just, like you said, you had to wait for your sports illustrator. I remember the feeling of when you'd look in the mailbox and it was, if it got there a day early, you were like, oh my gosh, and you just scroll and you read that thing. You read it from cover to cover um yeah no just you're putting a smile on my face and i think it's a great lesson for uh 
for some of the younger athletes as well. Uh, let's um, let's kind of fast, not fast forward, but move forward with the CFL career. So you're coming towards after your 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 Shenley year. Can you kind of you know kind of tell us how the uh, CFL careers kind of finished up? How uh, the path after the Shenley? Yeah, year I went from my best year in '92 to probably the most frustrating year was '93. We had a very good football team. I was having a good year. And then I blew my knee out in the Sky Dome in Toronto against the Argos. And it went from being invincible and everything was going my way to doing everything I could to stay in the game until I figured out what I wanted to do post-football. And I had plans of going to Europe and coaching and okay. teaching. And I had all these plans prior to blowing my knee out. And then uh, it became – doing everything I can to get back to the game. I had a major ACL repair, and then they went in four more times to clean out scar tissue. It was never really successful. It was almost like I was experiencing a relationship, an abusive relationship. Uh, I, I was choosing to dance with the devil I knew, which was football, and not dance with the devil I was scared of. That was life beyond football. And, and so I was doing everything I could to get back in the game when – Clearly, deep down, I knew that it was time to, you know, for a new chapter. And it took some time. I, you know, the surgeries, I went back to Hamilton. I played for Ottawa. I was more of a special teams guy than anything else. And, uh, and then finally, it, uh, the seat one season ended, and I think it was 95, something like 96. And it just quietly ended, and that was it. And then I, then I got into TV, and – Mm-hmm. And I did a bunch of stuff there and then doing what I do now. Now, it was, an, it was unfortunate. I want to touch on a little bit of that uh, in a moment, what you're up to these days. But it, it, it was unfortunate that, you know, with the knee problems after your best season. But would you, would you almost credit that knee injury with, you know, having, making you reflect upon life after football and kind of pondering more well, that? T- or was I that was of the mindset that uh, being superstitious, I didn't want to ever think about life beyond football because then shit happens, right? Accelerates that the entire mm-hmm. process. So I decided uh, I wasn't going to think about it, but um, we, I think it was in 91 where we had a really tough year. Dave Beckman was the coach. We didn't win a lot of football games. And I was actually released and put on – they're going to put me on the practice roster. And I was all set. I was saying, I'm going back to Ottawa. I'm a free agent. And Ottawa didn't call me. I was just tired of it. I just wanted to go home. But I was convinced to stay. And then they hired John Gregory and things changed. Mm -hmm. And I had the great season in 92. But uh, I didn't want to think about the game beyond football, probably because I didn't have any answers. Right? I didn't have any answers. And no, um, gonna be- yeah, so so I played as long as I could while I could, and adopted a probably a, it's better to burn out than fade away mentality, and 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 all for fifty five sixty thousand dollars whatever I was making, and uh, finally I took some when I retired I took some time off, uh, I ended up getting into the TV gig, and. It just I I approached TV my TV gig with no experience the same way I did my first training camp with Saskatchewan, learn and learn, you're you're a free safety again, figure it out, and that's what I did. 
No, you, well, you clearly figured it out because I mean, uh, for quite some years, you 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 became, uh, you know, again synonymous with football or not with football, but with sports in the city. And I mean, uh, I don't think there's a person out there that would ever uh, critique your your on air presence or or have anything but good things to say about your on air presence. And yeah, I, mean, I consider you a friend, so I'm biased. Yeah, but it, it was a lot of fun. So the TV wise. experience. I was a part of a great biased, team, right? an upstart team that was taking on the. You know, we're a smaller station owned by Chum, similar to City TV in Toronto and Much Music. And we were up against the big, you know, behemoth of CTV. And we were have we had a blast. It was a great 11 years. The market changed. And next thing you know, kids are arriving and, and it was on to the next chapter. No, very cool. Well, right. Uh, what I want to do really quickly is just backtrack a little and kind of close the the uh, close the book or, or or the final chapter on the CFL career with just a couple yeah. of uh, random football questions. So, looking at your CFL career, um, or you know what? Let's take it all. Let's take sure. it all. Laurier CFL, Strathcona Packers, Rochester Lions across the board. Um, and again, you're probably gonna when I ask you, you'll probably an hour later think, "Oh shoot, I." I, I didn't think of this person, that person, but any one or two particular teammates stand out over the years for either great reasons or the wrong reason, but any guys that you, when you think, well, you always have wingmen in football. So if there's guys that that I really love being teammates with, and there's so many, there's DJ, but I didn't have DJ in Ottawa for, it was only a short period of time. So we didn't get a chance to get into a lot of adventures, but when I was in Hamilton with Wally Zatoni, Richard Nurse and Lee Knight, uh we had so much fun uh <laughs> it was the way it was supposed to be it was our we created our own kind of football camelot and it was so much fun uh okay. so that stands out for me uh with those four guys and 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 the support of my family they're always at games are supporting me so that was really important as well and um the funny thing is it may seem odd but uh, I was ne- after being really competitive as a child. I wasn't caught up in the winning and losing of games in the CFL. We lost some games. We didn't get to the Grey Cup, and, and some guys are still haunted by not getting there or losing the Grey Cup. And um, after losing the Canadian Championship with the Ottawa Sooners, I was never really hung up on. Gee, I want to win a championship. If it happened, great. But it was never a driving force for me. The driving force was really playing and. And putting yourself out there, win, lose, or draw, come what may. And oftentimes it works out because you win, but there's a lot of times you lose. And um, of all the games I've lost, I've been a part of, the only one that stands out the most that stings, there's only one that does. And that's the Ottawa Invaders loss to Tri-City. That's crazy. It's the only one. It's it's hilarious that you say that, that of all – yeah, that of all the football you've been around, and you know what? I have an argument. I have a theory on that one, and it's probably the one that you felt was the least in your control. Meaning that you know, as a coach, it's one of the hardest things to adapt to. Is yeah. Uh, is is yeah, every control thing. No, that's that's. I, I find that fascinating. I had a smile on my face because of all the football memories you would have. Yeah, because we yeah, we had a great team. You. We- no, we did, and went through a lot. There was that, uh, I remember the two-hour delay with the thunder and lightning yeah. storm and no idea if we were going to play the game. 
And you know, and we had had the big upset the week earlier, and then we 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 yeah, we he, lost he our falls and splits his hand and goes to the hospital and gets off. stitches and comes back and plays for us. Thanks for the delay. And plays for us. Well, that's is I don't know if you remember. I don't know if you remember, but he he warned everybody. Yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah, guys, be careful yeah. in the locker room. It's slipped. Don't wear your cleats. And then what does he do? Put cleats on and yeah, first line. And, and, and what was it? 12 yeah. 11, I believe. We'd run the ball on them all day and we're successful. And then one time we got stopped short and and we still had a chance because all we had to do was stop them on defense. And for the first time they made some plays. For the first time they made some plays. And and I remember yeah, us I waiting for the bus, bus afterwards and then finally getting the bus and making our way home. And it being the longest trip I had been a part of because as the head coach, it was my call to go for it. And we didn't get it. I it it's you you kind of it making me again. I always say this with smile because it's just it, I think it's so true. And I think you could ask a hundred ex players gone into coaching, and they'll all give you the same answer. Because I mean, I had a player, and this was not at the same level of uh, invaders with the same thing at stake. It was a regular season game, and I remember still apologizing yeah. to this young man. And he's like, "Coach, let it go." Um, a year and a half later because I, I knew and I wanted to do something, but I made a different call. And then we ended up, and again, not even a playoff game, but we ended up losing that game. And it, it kind of stuck with you. It's kind of tough. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's uh, brings back memories when you talk about that, but I also, I know exactly where you're going. Uh, I'll ask you this and then we won't keep you much longer. Oh, it's twofold. And I said this to a couple It's one of the problems with the, with a guy <laughs> like you is a, we're friends and B you're a great storyteller. So I, just for, for, again, full disclosure, I promise again, that would be, you know, it should only take us about an hour. And I, I was going on an hour and a half, and I still haven't even touched upon what you're doing in current life. So I'll, I'll kind of preface it with two things. I'm going to ask you about that real quick to kind of tie things up. And then I want to leave this kind of open-ended saying, Kenny, I'm going to bug you, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, is that we're going to try to get sure. you on a second time to kind of tie up some uh, some dance. Because one of the things that uh, – and, and it kills me we don't have time to talk about it, is I just love the transition you've made into parenthood. And I've watched this. Your son's got into football, wasn't for them, and you're on to the next thing as a great parent should be. It's not trying to, you know, you're not living vicariously or you're not trying to push them. You're just following that. And, and I think it's a lesson that so many sports parents need to take in is, is just the bigger picture of, of, of that sense. Yeah. So I definitely am probably going to bug you again. I promise it won't be that to get you on for like a part two of our conversation um but let's kind of sum it up or kind of tie things yeah together. i've, I've got a, comp- a company and uh, corporate leadership and coaching and team building and uh as soon as the kids arrived because i'm an older dad my son i have two boys and a girl 11 10 and 9 and so my priority was to spend a lot of time with them and tailor my schedule around them and their needs and so this allows this allows me to do that. It allows me also to draw on my experience, my athletic experience, and have it become of some some value to other people uh, in in corporate industry industry and government industry. So I do a bunch of that, and I, I I'm a dad, and and I'm loving it. Love being a dad, and uh, you know it's 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 I. I the suggestion that I'm blessed and fortunate would be an understatement. I get it, I get to play pro football. I did that. I get to work for a TV station and cover all the favorite teams in Ottawa. Done that. 
Now I get to be a dad to three great kids and get to coach people up. Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. So that's that's what I'm doing. And and you also forgot to mention. Sorry, you also forgot to mention that you you got to coach with Wayne Jacobs and Irv Damon and and Steve Glenn and Sean Macri and uh, Sean still doesn't wear underwear with his sweatpants, which is cool. And just just some great guys and and uh, <laughs> boy, again, if I if I if I had one do over in my entire football career, it would be that call. We'd still go for it. But there's other twenty other plays I think I would have ran instead, only because it didn't go well. If we if it goes well, we win the championship. We go to the national championship and likely win. And the funny thing is, it would probably mean that championship would have meant more to me than any championship as a player, because I'd be able to see the right, the, the players because we had such a great team, a great culture. You know, uh, see them celebrate. And that that was that was the the hard the tough part of it. Yeah. Yeah, and it was built from scratch. You know, it was somebody, and you took a team that was, uh, was it three and five, I think, or two four and and or two five and one. Uh, you know, into the next year where it was a contender, and like you said, uh, one point away from. Uh, from advancing to the national championship, where if I'm not mistaken, I think Tri Cities yeah. won that uh, that championship rather handily. So, no, I hear you. And like I said, it was funny. Uh, it's funny some of the thoughts you have on the way home. I remember the year before when we got eliminated and we didn't have the best game. Let's say um, <laughs> at, at the. At the, at the, hey, the you remember though? You remember our sports site guy? Did he decide? And we're going to that big championship game. Oh we yeah! Got all the guys together, and he <laughs> crafted that shield and that sword, and it broke. <laughs> it fell and apart it broke, yeah. when he tried to get the guys motivated. I thought, if there was ever an omen, <laughs> that's it right there. Oh, yeah, no, no, because I don't know if you remember, on the way home was you and myself and Irv, and, and we're going back, and we kind of look at each other, and I'm like, as God is my witness, I didn't see that coming. And then you just said, you know what? I pretty much figured we were in for a long day when that sword uh, flopped for people that can't get an image, it was like this cardboard. He did a great job. He yeah. the kid that was, but he, he crafted this cardboard <laughs> sword. And so it's not even like it broke, it just flopped. It flopped like ever so. And it's just hanging yeah. there and it just looked like a limp piece of cardboard. And yeah, and uh, I think some 50 points well, later, it, yeah. that was the end of the year. Uh, and well, some of those guys are going on great things. Years. And the fun thing is, and you, okay. you know, you've done, you done good when some you're still connected to a lot of the guys. And the bunch of them are on Facebook. I stay connected. Mike Lafon and and you know Brandon Weeks is in there. Danny Mullins. There's a bunch of guys in there. And they're back then they were young guys, and now they're married. Now they have kids, and we still laugh and joke about a lot of the fun times from that time. Yeah, at the end of the day, man, that's what it's all about. Like I said, it's like you, 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 I, I love the game. I love playing it, but you know, some of my best yeah. memories are, are, you know, just the road trips or the, uh, the hotel, the teammates or even the going out after. And like I've said numerous times on this podcast, the, the, the bonds I have from football going back to university or pre-university yeah. are, are lifelong, uh, lifelong friendships. I mean, it's just, 
that gets stronger every year. Okay, Andy, like I said, um, the one thing, I, I think I'm a lot of things, but able to keep uh, conversations <laughs> to, to, to shorter length is not one of my strengths. So I, I very appreciate you uh, taking the time and going over the time. Apologize to Pam and the kids for yeah. me. Um, I know it's a Friday night. Um, and, uh, and again, my man, I, I, I very much appreciate you jumping on and, and hopefully before we're done this podcast series, we can get you on with a couple of your old teammates and, uh, or even get, yeah, do have some storytelling and, and uh, table type really you, you forget about the scores, but you don't forget the stories. No, I, like I said, I think I'm going to launch another yeah. series. And That'd be a good idea. Dark for some of those stories. <laughs> yep the parent advisory uh, lyrics thing sticker in, in the front. But anyways, Kenny, I will let hey, you, you got it. No it. problem. Thank winner. you very much for jumping on today. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. That was Ken of rare. And again, we ask you to join us on the next, the uh, next edition of our 65 for yeah. 65 in the podcast series. Hey, you got to win our huddle. Include-